At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is Negative M.I.P. With Massimella Matfumal. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Folks, African American History Month rolls along on MIP. The founder and director of IKG Cultural Resources and the director of the ASA, the ASA Restoration Project, I should say, which is funding the excavation and restoration of three 25th Dynasty tombs of Kushite noblemen on the west bank of Luxor, Egypt. He's the first African American to fund and coordinate an archaeological dig in Egypt and has led more than 30 archaeological missions to Egypt since 2009. A prolific author, publisher, cultural historian, artist, and educational consultant, Anthony Browder joins us. Welcome back, brother Hotep. Hey, my pleasure, brother. Glad to be back. And um, we're thankful that you're here, and I'm sure the audience is thankful that you're spending this month with us. This is gold. Um, and I want to pick up where we left off before a little bit, <laughs> and and this this might get a little turbulent for some of us folks. So just just bear with me. Uh, we mentioned uh, you t- you talked to us about Akhenaten, the father of King Tutankhamen, the husband of Nefertiti. These are all names that are popularly recognized. You mentioned Freud's writings where Moses studied under Akhenaten, correct? Yes. That's what, what he alleges. Now, he would have been Amenhotep IV. Uh, there's that name, Hotep. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also, let me do this first. That term, Amen, Tutank Amen, Amenhotep. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, folks, it ought to be conspicuous to you that every uh, Western religion uses the term amen. Talk to us about what that means, Tony. Sure. Amen is an ancient comedic term which identifies the unseen aspect of the creator, the unseen aspect of Almighty God. In you know, in within um the religious community, uh we have the star and crescent, we have six-pointed star, so stars Crescents, moons, the suns are all symbols associated with with religion, with divinity, because they exist in the heavens, right? So in Kemet, there were three, they also view the sun as a symbol of God. The sun wasn't God, but it was a symbol that represented the power of God because the sun is responsible for all life on the planet, right? So they identified three distinct aspects of the sun as it moves across the sky. When the sun rose every morning on the east bank of the Nile River, it was called Kepre. It was represented by 
the scarab beetle, which this dung beetle lays its eggs in a ball of dung and moves it, rolls it with its feet, following the path of the sun from the east to the west. It follows the sun because the sun warms the eggs um, inside of this ball of dung. And then um, the, the larva, the eggs hatch and the larva uh, eat the dung and they emerge from the dung as fully grown uh, scarab beetles. So to the minds of these scientists, they studied nature and the word nature is derived from the word nature, which means the principle or aspect of divinity. And they found ways to understand uh, life on earth by studying everything on earth. So Kepri represented rebirth or renewal. When the sun reached its zenith at high noon, it was known as ray. And ray, we still use the term ray to describe a ray of light or ray Charles, right? Um, so ray represented the creator on high. And then when the sun set, it was called Amen. And Amen represented the unseen creator. So they knew that the creator disappeared when it set in the West, but they also had this profound understanding that it was going to be re reborn or resurrected in the morning as Kepri. So they saw life as a continuous cycle. They realized that if you understood the nature of the universe in which you live, there is no death. There is continuous rebirth. So, um, you know, so Amen signifies the unseen presence of the creator. And we have in the city now known today as Luxor, a city that the Greeks had renamed Thebes, but which Chemites, the original ancient Egyptians called Waset. The word Waset means the scepter. Waset was for at least 1800 years in the history of Kemet, Waset was the cultural, political and spiritual capital of the planet. And in Waset, you had the temple known today as Karnak, which was known as Ipet Isut, or the most selected places. And that temple was a shrine of Amen. That temple, Ipet Isut, i.e. Karnak temple, is the largest temple complex ever created by humans on the planet. And that is where the spirit of Amen well you could take every church built in london and put them inside of karnak temple and still have room for two football fields it's huge Eighty-two thousand priests and priestesses worked at karnak temple four thousand years ago all right so this this one of the priests whose tombs we're uh, restoring his name is karak amen Karak Amen, right? So Amen means the unseen presence of the creator. Ka means spirit. Raket means knows or is known by. So Karak Amen means the unseen presence of God knows my spirit. Tadak Amen means the living image of Amen, the living image of God. So within African history and culture, you had an acknowledgement of a creator, an acknowledgement of a means of ensuring resurrection and a, a detailed description of where the souls of people go to be reborn, to be resurrected. That all existed in Kemet before there was religion anywhere else on the planet. The oldest religious text ever recorded is in a tomb underneath the pyramid of Unas 
and they're known as the pyramid texts. Now that's a, that's a false term because there's no writing on the pyramid. The writing is in the tomb underneath the pyramid or the mirrors we discussed earlier, but that is the oldest religious text ever recorded by human hands. And on the, on the walls of this tomb of this King Unas, Unas, a fifth dynasty king, you have descriptions of the means by which, well, descriptions of a soul of man. You have descriptions of the means by which that soul can be saved. You have a description of where that soul goes into heaven to be reborn. All of this knowledge sprang from the minds of African people over 5,000 years ago. More MIP after this message. Clearly, even the concept of rebirth and resurrection. Um, and this was BC. Exactly. So normally, folks, we normally refer to BC as that means before Christ. So people talking about resurrection before Christ, that means that resurrection was not it was introduced before Christ and we didn't have to wait for Christ for that concept to be introduced. And again, now bear with me folks. I know this is blasphemous to some, but, but we're just, we're trying to <laughs> uncover uh, some history and, and some concepts. So uh, Amenhotep IV, Akhenaten, uh, and, and if you all listening last episode, the, the misnomer that he, that, that he developed monotheism um tone explained to us that that was always there um so if you missed last so you want to go back these episodes stay up y'all so y'all might want to go back and get some of this and gather around the family because you're gonna get some education you you're not gonna get anywhere else this 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 month amenhotep the fourth was a pharaoh correct well uh pharaoh is an asiatic word well that's what that's what i was leading up to we gotta okay, talk about okay. what that means what's what's okay. a pharaoh okay right so pharaoh comes from a, I think it's a Persian word that means Per-Ah. Per-Ah was the name of the palace that the king lived in. The name of the king was Ensuite Bitti, which means the ruler of the north and the south. And the Ensuite Bitti lived in Per-Ah, the great house. So to call the king of Kemet Pharaoh is like calling Barack Obama the White House. <laughs> right, right, right. So then what, what would be, what would you call the leader then? What would you call well, the king? The term is in sweet bitty, the ruler of the north and the south. The, the person who unified the two lands, the north and the south. Okay. All right. I want to pronounce that right. In sweet bitty. In sweet bitty. Yes. In sweet bitty. Okay. But now the Bible mentions, they use the term Pharaoh. Exactly. And that's the that's the term that they gave us. The if Freud wrote of Moses studying under Amenhotep the Fourth, mm -hmm. then would this be the same Pharaoh or in sweet bitty that from from whom he sought liberation? Um, no, 
And I say that because <clears throat> the Bible is very clear about genealogy. So-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so. But when it comes to the story of Moses and the Exodus, they don't name who the king was. What accounts for that lapse of memory, right? And so two things that we must understand. One, Moses is an African name, a comedic name. It's not a Jewish name. It's a comedic name, which means saved from the waters, all right? Saved from the waters. So, so we have kings, Tutmosis the first, Tutmosis the second, Amos the first, Amos the second. So this name was used in Kemet among African people before Moses was even born. So you know the language is, is important in order to reclaim the history. So we don't know the name of the king. As a matter of fact, brother, the only king, the only Kemetic king in Sweet Bitti who is mentioned by name in the Bible is Taharka. And he's mentioned twice in the Bible. Why? Because he helped save Israel from the Hittites, I believe. And that's why his name is recorded. But there's no other king mentioned by name in the Old Testament. Zero. Um, I know Dr. Ben used to say, and for those who don't know, I'm speaking of Dr. Yosef Ben-Yakinen, that... Um, that omission of the king's name um, was further proof that what is described in the Bible did not actually happen. Um, then there's also been some speculation. Some scholars have speculated that it was uh, Ramses. Um, and I'm, I'm not clear on what that's based on. Okay. So, so, but no, but unpack that. Why Ramses? Why Ramses? Ramses II ruled from 1292 to 1225 BC. Ramses II is regarded as the greatest ruler in Kemet and had, I think, the second or the third longest reign. Ramses lived for 67 years. And so there's more statues and monuments and temples with Ramses' name than any other king in Kemet. So if you think about it, if, if a group of people are constructing a narrative in order to assert a place for themselves on the stage of human history, and they're talking about how mighty their God is, then as part of that narrative, their God had to take down the mightiest ruler on the face of the planet. That's why Ramesses' name is inferred, but Ramesses was not the king associated with Exodus. You know, because you know they have Ramesses' uh, body, and according to the story, the king drowned in the Red Sea, chasing after Moses. So things don't add up. If you do, if, if, if you do the research and if you study the physical evidence, they don't add up. And what about the Israelite enslavement itself? Dr. Ben used to also say that was not, that's something he, that probably would have been recorded. And if they were in fact there and Moses had a comedic name and he's, chilling in with everybody wasn't moses black too well well so so these are all issues that have to be discussed and they have to be discussed intelligently and 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 without without emotion you know we have to deal with the facts i mean i just think but i think those are i mean those are the questions we need to explore and and have answers to and again this upends 
the knowledge most of us have coming out of our Judeo-Christian experience. Okay, so I got it. It just came back. You know, give yourself enough time. So we remember when Jimmy Carter was president and Jimmy Carter had uh, a meeting at Camp David with Anwar Sadat and I think it was Menachem Begin, the prime minister of Israel. Correct, correct. And so they signed the uh, Camp David Peace Accord and then later Begin came to Egypt to meet with Sadat. And there was an interview, um, there was an interview on 60 Minutes, I believe, with them. And Begin stated in that interview how proud he was to be in Egypt and see the pyramids which his ancestors built. And Sadat shut him down. Sadat said, no, 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 no. The great pyramid of Khufu was built approximately 2400 BC, a thousand years before Moses was born. So if we understood history and chronology, we can correct some of the errors in history, culture, and religion. Now, by, by sharing this information, I'm not dismissing the value of the Bible. I'm not dismissing people's concepts of God. I just want to add context so that we can get clarity. And the most important thing that I want listeners to understand was, was that these concepts sprang first from the minds of African people in the Nile Valley. And so everybody came to Kemet to get a piece of Kemetic knowledge, and then they went back home and then introduced concepts and ideas that were foreign to the people in their own, in their own lands. The first civilization, folks, and the first even to interpret interpret humankind's relationship with the creator, with a greater force, with a greater being, were our people, the comedic people. It's Black History Month with Anthony Browder, ikg-info.com, acerestorationproject.com. And we're going to hear more about the project as it, it was named, it has been named after Dr. Asa Hilliard. We'll find out more about that as well as we progress during the month. This is all fascinating. Tony Browder here with us every day during the month. Thank you, brother. Hey, my pleasure. And I wanna thank you, brother, for allowing me this opportunity to discuss historical truths. Um, and, and, and as it's said, the truth will set you free. You have to be willing to internalize it, understand it, and then see how it fits into your life and apply the principles and you will free your mind. Indeed. That's the process. Thank you, brother, for this opportunity. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you too, Tony. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, it's that time of the month where we get an update on the latest jobs reports. We're talking about the January jobs report now, uh, just out. And as always, we're happy to have with us the chief economist at the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, centeronbudget.org, Chad Stone. Chad, how are you, buddy? I'm good, Mark. How are you? Just fine. Pleasure to have you, as always. A, a big surprise, isn't it, in terms of the numbers? People expected the jobs numbers to be much worse this month or for the month of January. They did. So the good news is we had 467,000 new payroll jobs. Um, 
there's a there's a report that comes out on the Wednesday before the jobs report put out by the ADP Corporation that does it does payrolls and has a lot of payroll data and they work together with some economists to make predictions and they were predicting uh, 300,000 job loss and the consensus among economists who may who are bold enough to make forecasts was that might get 150,000 jobs and so 467,000 is a really good is a really good number. It certainly is. And so the unemployment deficit now is down, according to your thread, down to 2.9 million, a 1.9% below February of 2020. Is that accurate? And tell us about the significance of that. So um, at, at one point we were down over 20 million jobs in April of 2020. And the deficit was huge compared to the pre-pandemic February 2020 level. And we've been coming back. Um, aided by policy, uh, the CARES Act um, sort of propelled us out of the deep, deep hole. Um, we kind of let policy lapse in July of 2020 when uh, the, the extra unemployment insurance benefits, uh, weekly benefits uh, lapsed and our job creation slowed. But then at the end of the year, end of 2020, we got um, a package that restored some unemployment benefits and another round of stimulus checks. And then in March, we got the, um, the American Rescue Plan and job growth has been steadily upward uh, for 20, in 2021 um, in, the, in the latest data that we see. And it continued so in January. And- and so we are, the economy and jobs are definitely coming back, correct? Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, I th- we averaged 555,000 jobs, fi- 555, jobs a month in 2021. Um, the, uh, the, original, the original pattern of, of job creation was, was somewhat uneven in 2021, but uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics has, has issued revised data that shows kind of a more smooth, um, steady, steady rise. Uh, and we were close to that with the 467,000 in January. So it has been a, um, uh, a, an ongoing recovery in the face of pandemic variants, uh, uh, COVID variants, uh, Delta and Omicron, which get in the way and, and, the fa- and, and other problems. Um, that are pandemic related, uh, so it's 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 been it's been good, especially given the uh, the obstacles, the roadblocks. Yeah, um, <clears throat> you and folks again. Chad has an incredible thread always when the jobs report comes out. Um, leisure. We always talk about leisure and hospitality. Um, how did leisure and hospitality do this jobs report as, as well as other industries, Chad? Right, right. So, so leisure and hospitality industry um, employs lots of, uh, lots of uh, low paid workers and leisure and hospitality took a huge hit, huge hit in, uh, in April in the recession. And that's when lots and lots of workers in those, in that industry, including lots of workers of color, women, um, low-paid workers lost their jobs. And it's come back. Leisure and hospitality, hospitality has come back. And um, it was uh, it, it was it was up it was up substantially in January, but still 
were, uh, if I'm if I'm remembering right, about about a million jobs short in the leisure and hospitality industry. So there's still a ways to go. And the issue, of course, is that that's an industry that relies on face-to-face -face contact. And with 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 COVID, um, that's that's been a problem. Leisure and hospitality industries are closed. Um, Stadiums are now starting to be full, not empty, but um, but with Delta and uh, and Omicron, um, there's 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 still um, a reluctance of some people to go back to work, a reluctant uh, a fact that some businesses are are not fully open, and leisure and hospitality takes the hit. Um, so so it, it lots of lots of jobs gained, but lots of jobs gained, but still a big hole in January. So. Chad, I believe the number you're referring to, Legion Hospitality added 151,000 jobs, but it's still down 1.8 million from February uh, 20th. Um, right, so that's a big chunk of the jobs deficit. Yeah, yeah, and and that's still that's still out there. <clears throat> Their um, unemployment rates by race and ethnicity uh, fell. Um, in December of 21, the white unemployment rate was 3.2%, January 3.4, down to 3%. I'm sorry, it was 3% in, in January 22, 3.4. So it went down. It was 3% 3, 3 in February of well, 2020. Feb yeah, February of 2020 was the pre-pandemic time. Right, and right. So right. all white, black, Hispanic, and Asian rates are all still higher than they were in February 20. But the... Uh, yeah. No, the white rate edged up from three two to three four. The black rate edged down from seven one to six nine. Still really high. Uh, the Hispanic rate um, stayed the same, and the uh, and the Asian rate um, uh, went went down uh, slightly. Um, yeah. Now there's there's a there's an issue with the um, comparing the January twenty two numbers in the household survey which asks question which asks people what's their job status um and comparing it with december and that's because this is a technical thing but it but it but it, it messes up our ability to to draw comparisons um so the data is collected through a survey and and a, sur a survey needs to, to to have um weights of different population groups consistent with the population to be accurate. And every January, the Bureau of Labor Statistics introduces updated population weights into the survey. And therefore, the, the survey in December is not done on the same basis as the survey in January. And so comparisons are not reliable. So I posted those unemployment rates by race because I think it's important to see it. Um, but some of the some of the change reflects the change in the way the survey and the way the survey is weighted, and some of it reflects what's going on in the economy. Um, and it's hard to sort out how much it is each. But in any case, the, the the trends are pretty much what we know. Certainly, the levels are what we know. The black unemployment rate is still embarrassing, disturbingly high. Um, but it is, but it. But it has edged down from from last last in December it jumped up from November and now it's come back down some, but um, still high. The Biden administration is touting, though, that this is a significant change in the black unemployment rate. I just want to be sure I understand you it, it, again. Sometimes um, it's 
it, it gets over my head. But yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I get down in the weeds. So, um, no, but I want everybody to get it. So <clears throat> help me understand the numbers in front of us certainly. And what you're saying about the the adjustment, right? But but they're not strictly the the January and December are not from strictly comparable samples because of changes in the way. Um, because of, because of a, a technical change that the Bureau of Labor Statistics makes every January to update its population estimates that are that underlie the the survey, so it's possible that um, the change was not quite the same. But in general, we have been seeing improvements in in uh, in all of the unemployment rates, um, obviously since April of 2020, when when we we're really in a in a hole. So, I mean, that it's January is the toughest time to explain what's going on with the employment report because both both the survey of employers and the survey of, of households um, have some technical uh, changes and revisions that go in in January, um, and um, and I and I get to look like uh, a pointy-headed intellectual. <laughs> well, but I mean, you said it before I did. You know, these this number is. So if we look at it, December 2021, Black unemployment, 7.1%, January 22, 6.9. Uh, again, folks, still twice that of white unemployment. That's a, that's something that almost never changes. For the Hispanic population, 4.9% in December of 2021, 4.9% in January of 2022 uh, as well. So that does not uh reflect uh the greatest change um i i know too we also kind of break down the numbers in or, or uh, job losses or, or what have you or, or unemployment rates in terms of gender do, yeah. we have, do we have that this month um i did not do it this month because the numbers are look look kind of screwy and and can be and can be affected more by these population weight changes because the sample sizes are smaller for uh, for different subgroups and 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 I I didn't I didn't want to put up numbers that that um, I wasn't I wasn't sure um, made made sense um, and so we'll have to wait till next month when we have a January to February comparison yeah. on the same basis. Yeah. Yeah. The the other thing though that you do always point out the share of the population uh, with a job 59.7% in January how does that compare to other months and to pre-pandemic numbers so it's so it's so it's it's um it's it's pretty good in the uh i mean it's good in the post-pandemic period it's up it's up um it's up it's up um compared to to where we were um, in April or May, um, it's still below where we were in February of 2020. Now this is a this is a you know glass 90% full 10% empty uh, proposition because because we've gotten we've gotten back a lot of the losses, but the 10% empty matters because you know we're talking about two years we're talking about a comparison to two years ago, and uh, and we're still we're still you know below the um, below the where we were in February 2020. So there is a ways to get back. Now, part of that has to do with the fact that um, 
old people like me, my generation, um, is a large share of the population. And we've entered our normal retirement years. And therefore, we're not working, but that's not a problem because we don't want to be working, except for me. Um, and uh, <laughs> so, so there is a, there is that there is that demographic um, piece to it that, that there's a, there's a downward trend as more and more of the baby boom generation moves out of their working years into their retirement years, and they're a big share of the population. So that that weights the uh, the employment to population ratio for the whole economy um, holds it down. Also, uh, what do we know uh, about January in terms of state and local job gains or losses? And we know that a lot of those jobs are in education. That's right. A, a pattern. A pattern since the beginning of the recession. Uh, is is that um, state and local government job losses are huge, and the share of those losses that, that are accounted for by by state and local, especially local um, education, um, is has has been has been very high and, and is still um, about half of the of the total job losses. And that's that's not just teachers. That's that's uh, you know teachers assistants, bus drivers, cafeteria workers. Uh, all the other, all the other folks who, who make who, who make local education go, and you know even though schools are reopening, um, we know all of them are not, and that everyone is is not coming back either. Three point seven million people, folks, were working part time for economic reasons in January, meaning they were involuntarily working fewer hours than they would have liked. Um, that's down uh, from the beginning of the pandemic too, right? Um, so the, so the, the part-time for economic reasons, um, the, um, I'm trying to remember, I think, I, think, I think that actually the number of people is lower than before the, in other, in other words, it was higher at, in February of 2020 than it is now. Um, the, the part, it's, 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 it's it's still it's still indicative of some of some issues going on in the labor market, but but it's one of the, it's one of the few indicators that's 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 actually a little bit better than uh, than it was before. But uh, and that and that contributes to the uh, U six unemployment rate that we talk about, which tries to be a broader measure of employment and underemployment, and so it includes the people who are part time for economic reasons, and it includes people who are what we call marginally attached to the labor force, meaning they, they want a job, but they haven't looked in the last 12 months and therefore they can't, they're not officially counted as unemployed because you have to be actively looking. You have to have looked in the last four weeks to be counted as, uh, as unemployed. Now, we're in this interesting um, period that people are calling the great resignation about, about people being out of the labor force. And, when you and I were talking about these issues in the Great Recession aftermath, and we were talking about how the U6 measure, which includes people who want a job but aren't looking, the reason they weren't looking was they didn't think there were good job prospects. This time, there's a good case to be made that because labor markets are so tight in many ways, uh, people 
are including people people are willing to look longer for a good job or they're willing to be out of the labor force for a while and before coming back in now they have they have they may have the resources to do that because um, you know maybe they save some unemployment benefits maybe they save some stimulus checks or whatever reason but the main thing is workers workers have more bargaining power now in such tight labor markets and they and and they don't have to take uh, the first job or 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 a job that 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 is you know pretty lousy in terms of working conditions and so forth they can they can be more picky so it's 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 in many ways a, a good thing um, it has resulted in wages going up at the bottom of the income distribution so yes people are out of the labor force the U6 measure actually is pretty close to where it was um, pre-pandemic. I think it's 7-1 instead of 7-0. Um, so a lot of that, a lot of that particular slack is is uh, at least back to where it was in 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 February of 20. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, in February of 2020, when the when the labor market was quite strong. That's why the Fed thinks that the labor market is is pretty strong right now. They're going to keep their eye on it, but they think that we're they're pretty close to their maximum employment goal. And so they're focusing on inflation. They're not. They're not going to throw us. They're, they're not going to tighten so fast that they throw us into a recession. But they are. They are going to be starting to address inflation and um, and keep an eye on the labor market to make sure that we're still we still have improving labor market conditions. Okay, I'm a student asking a teacher the a teacher a question. Again, I, I think you touched on this last time we talked, and I just want to hear it again for our audience to understand it. If I'm not mistaken, you were talking about inflation and how, I mean, of course, the politicos would say, well, the president is causing inflation uh, just on his own, just existentially. <laughs> but I think you were explaining to us that it's actually the rapid growth and comeback that contributes to inflation. So it's kind of a, a mix. It's kind of a mixed bag. We want to come back rapidly and strong. But that also the cost of that inflation. Can you break that down again? Well, we we, we, we the strong the strong recovery um, creates aggregate demand, um, and and that um, that in and of itself is an impulse to to uh, to faster gro faster growth. And if you're bumping up against supply constraints, then that can that can produce inflation. But to be clear. Um, a lot of the inflation is on the supply side, not the not necessarily the demand side. The fact that that people have switched their consumption away from uh, services because those are less available um, in the pandemic towards the purchases of goods, and goods is where the supply shocks are, where the supply chain issues are, and so forth. And so there's there's a constraint that we're bumping against on the supply side, and 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 the pandemic is is limiting. Um, the ability of, of, of the ability and willingness of, of workers to go back to work and, and 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 businesses to be open, and so the the demand bumping against that supply constraint um, is a an important cause of the uh, important cause of the inflation. But it's it's pandemic related causes. It's not that we're overstimulating the economy with policy necessarily. People are using um, inflation as an argument against build back better type investments, when in fact, our analysis shows that, and the analysis of, 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 of many others shows that the build back better types of measures are for the most part 
longer-term investments, the amount of stimulus that they might provide early this year is pretty limited. And it's overwhelmed really by the by the contraction in government stimulus from the from the phasing out of all of the programs that that we had in 20 and 21. Now, that doesn't mean that that the economy is is going down because because private demand, the fact that those policies worked to stimulate the economy means that private spending not stimulated by government programs has been has been growing as the government stimulus has has been has been uh, winding down and build back better doesn't change that equation um, so in in brief yes demand <laughs> inflation happens when when uh, when demand outruns supply or supply restricts demand and uh, we we for a lot for a variety of reasons many of them related to the pandemic and the virus not necessarily government stimulus programs which are not having a, as big an effect anymore as they had early on when they were really needed for stimulus build back better as investment programs so yeah and so there's there is inflation. It's anticipated by most analysts that it will decline this year. How fast and how soon is a matter of uncertainty. But nobody, no one looking at it carefully, or very few careful analysts of inflation, no matter what what they think is the cause of it, is talking about inflation spiraling out of control the way it did in the 19, late 1970s and early 1980s. And yet that's the rhetoric that you hear. Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah. you know, while Republicans want to take us back to the days of, of insurrection, I guess, and civil war, they have to project Jimmy Carter <laughs> on the rest of us. And and, and what Chad is saying is important, folks. It, it doesn't seem it's going to go back to that, but he's explaining why it is the way it is now. And and that's one of the side effects, obviously, of a rapid recovery. But recovery is happening. Sure. 467,000 jobs, um, payroll employment. So we will see if this trend continues. <clears throat> no real reason to think it wouldn't, right? No, it'll continue. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, unless you get another variant, and keep in mind these numbers are even in the face of of I guess Omicron still being out here. Oh it's, yeah, it's not, you know that hasn't fully resolved. So yeah, folk trying to get back to work, folk trying to trying to get back to normal. Lord have mercy. Chad Stone, sit on budget chief economist. Follow his him on. You all heard Chad say he's a senior citizen, and he's still working. Let me check out something. Chad tweets. Like he's in Gen Z or millennial or something. I mean, he's 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 got tweet threads and he gets retweeted. So he's popular like these rock stars out here. Y'all ought to check him out. Chad CBPP. We got to get you. You know, we, I'm, I'm telling you, man, we need to get you a TikTok account and have you do the videos with the on the whiteboard. Then you really be you be really be a rock star, man. There we go. Huh? We got. Let's talk. Let's talk about this. teaching days, huh? <laughs> Let's get my people and your people together and work that out for you. I'd love to see that. That would be outstanding. <laughs> Chad, at Chad CBPP. In the meantime, follow him in the Twitterverse at Chad CBPP for Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. Thanks as always, buddy. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Always great to be here. 
Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.